The Welsh Wire, where talent and business connect in West Michigan. The Welsh Wire features moderator Mike Rogers and professional recruiting expert Sherry Welsh in this weekly podcast. Listen in as leaders from a wide array of small to mid-sized West Michigan companies weigh in and share their experiences and insights on a variety of business topics, including employee retention challenges and recruitment success stories. Hi, this is Mike Rogers with another great Welsh Wire conversation. Now, here's Sherry Welsh. Hello and welcome back to the Welsh Wire. I'm Sherry Welsh, CEO of Welsh and Associates, and we're here with another great podcast with our friends from Christ Enderly in Kalamazoo. Today, we're going to talk about employee attraction and retention challenges, some ideas that we're wondering, could this really work? Like, could these things happen and how do they impact our operations? And today we've got two special guests with us. We've got Jordan Hyde and Mariah Natsky, both from Christ Enderly in Kalamazoo. Jordan and Mariah, welcome to the Welsh Wire. Thank you. Thank you. So excited. Well, we're excited to have you here. So tell us a little bit about your background. Introduce yourself a little bit, Jordan. Tell us who you are and how you got to Christ Enderly. Yeah, so Jordan Held, I'm originally from the east side of the state of Michigan, uh, moved back to Kalamazoo area for undergrad, and then after law school came back. Uh, just recently bought a house in Kalamazoo, so I'm here for, for the long run, yeah. Um, got to Christ Enderly because actually Mariah, we are friends outside of work, and she kind of coaxed me into coming to work uh, work over at Christ Enderly. That's awesome. And Mariah, tell us about you. So I'm actually originally from the south side of the state. Um, and then I kind of ended up in Kalamazoo um, because of Christ Enderly. So I was applying for jobs all over the state and uh, I got accepted at Christ and moved here. And that's kind of how I ended up in Kalamazoo. And I practiced primarily in the business area, along with some real estate and estate planning. Wonderful. And Jordan, you do a lot of litigation work, as I understand it. Yeah, a lot of litigation, a lot of civil and employment law litigation. Wonderful. So we've got two really interesting perspectives from a Bronco and, although Mariah didn't mention it, she's a Chippewa. Yeah, fire up chips. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little healthy competition here. Love that. Oh, Love that. Yes. Well, you know, let's begin our conversation with um, talking about this first idea. Um, one, one idea that is a, a pending federal rule change that could attract employee attention, retention. We're going to get to that one in a little bit later. So stay tuned later in the podcast for that, but let's talk about an old idea really that's gained some traction right now as a potential employee attraction and a retention tool. And that is the concept of employment contracts. Now, many companies are beginning to consider using employment contracts, not just for executive senior level hires, but for mid-level talent managers and leaders as well. So that's a kind of a new twist. Um, and the reasoning we're hearing is that, you know, extending a contract like this, if you will, um, will help assure these new hires that you really mean business, like you care about them, you're willing to invest in them, you have a plan for their future there, you want them there long term, and you kind of lay this out in writing, that written assurance being perceived as being much stronger than, say, just a promise and a handshake. No, really, I mean it. I want you to stay here long term. So, Mariah, let's start with you. 
Let's get your take on employment contracts used in this manner. Do you think this could work here in Michigan? So it can, but Michigan is still an at-will employment state, which means that the contract needs to say something that the employee status is still an at-will employee and nothing about the contract guarantees their employment for a period of time, which basically just means like they can quit when they want to. Or they can be fired if they're not working out for someone. So it still gives kind of that flexibility, but it's providing maybe, like you're saying, a little bit more of that incentive to stay on for a longer period of time. Right. Because you might be describing specific things, right, right. In, in the agreement that you intend to do for the further development of the company. So talk about what some of those incentives might be that company could lay out in those agreements. Yeah. So I've seen um, a lot of different incentives that are being offered. I think a common one that we see in the legal industry is a partnership track. So, and I think this is also really common for CPAs. So you have a partnership track where you start off and there's a buy-in after a certain number of years of service and you're doing really well with the company and they want you to become a partner. So that's a really good option starting off because you kind of know this is what I need to do to get this partnership type position. Kind of similar, but slightly different, but we also are seeing a lot of transition planning for those employees or owners who are starting to move towards retirement, and they want to bring in some high-level employees in the business to start taking that business over. So I see transition planning more as people are rotating into that retirement realm and partnership track as a kind of a more ongoing basis of change and bringing in new talent. Right. And that, you know, that can honestly also work, as we say, for some of the mid-level or managerial level hires to say, you know, our plan is for you to be in this role for two to five, three to five years. When our director, our VP retires, we would like you to be the heir apparent and you'll be ready for that after that that time with us. So you can spell that out. And Definitely. Then, yeah. Great. Definitely. Is there anything else? Yeah. So there's also stock options. So, um, I know some people immediately are like, we don't have stock, but there's kind of a fun way that you can actually work with non-stock companies. But um, stock options are usually offered to higher level employees as part of their benefit package. And we're even starting to see that for mid-level employees too, small amounts of stock. And so they have some interest, more loyalty, more interest in the company, and more reason to help the company to do well because they are going to see more benefit out of their stock. Another right. one, it's a little bit more complex, but it's called phantom stock. And the concept is, is that you are getting stock in air quotes, but you're actually not getting any ownership power. So you see some of the benefits from the company because you've received this phantom stock. So if you're doing better, you're bringing in more for the company, the company's doing better and you're receiving more out of it, but you actually don't have any ownership. So you can't yeah. really or affect any changes. Yeah. Um, and then I think that the last one is really more of the, I'm going to say like time tested kind of items. So you have like 401k matching that we commonly see for maybe more opening positions, mid-level positions to get folks to stay into in a position for longer. And then right. some other really basic ones are, but increase in salary, increase in PTO that we see for folks. Um, and actually, really interestingly, I was watching this video this weekend that one of the biggest things that they're seeing in studies is that folks that are offered more of a work-life balance are more likely to stay with a company for longer. 
And the same with, um, interestingly, but hybrid or remote work. If you are offering hybrid or remote work, people are more likely to go into that position because they want that option to be able to work remote at least a couple of days a week, if not all the time. So I thought that was really interesting seeing that video this weekend, how it related back into this a lot. Right. And those are some things that you could spell out, for example, in a employment contract per se, right, that would really sort of formalize, right, in writing what your intentions are and give someone confidence that look, they're willing to invest in me, they're willing to commit to, you know, accommodating my schedule and all of these things long term. So that's great. So really, what I think I hear you saying, Ryan, is that at face value, this concept, I mean, does have some merit, in considering as a potential tool to attract people to your organization and also, you know, potentially put in place for some of your top talent that you don't want to lose. Maybe they've been there for a few years, but it's time to sort of really put in writing what your intention is for them for the future. Definitely. And Jordan, you indicate that, you know, we still have to be cautious when drafting or considering the use of a contract like this, like Trust the professionals on this one. Don't do this one on your own. Yeah, there's a lot of litigation that goes on with employment agreements and employment contracts. So talking with your your attorney or getting another set of eyes on your agreements is always the best option to go. Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned, too, that there's some areas that, you know, really get focused on when it comes to litigation and some problem areas. Share with us a little bit about what some of the problem areas are that need to be looked out for, I guess, when you're putting this together. Yeah, the main areas, I would say it kind of falls into two buckets and they go hand in hand together. There's the wrongful discharge and the either misrepresentation or oral representations that are made to employees. So those need to be examined a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So within within those, so there's there's Two things to really look at it, with both of them is the length of employment and some restrictive covenants that can go with them. Um, length of employment, as Mariah discussed, it's generally at will still. That is the presumption. That is what Michigan has. And if it's silent, that's where the courts will presume that there has been no other representations made. However, there can be representations and policies in place with some companies that employees rely on to believe that they cannot be terminated at will. So that is the biggest the biggest cause of litigation usually is this employee was told they won't be fired for some reason and they are, or they won't be fired at all. Or it's going to be for a length of time. Um, and those oral presumptions can create a expectation in, for the employee. Uh, so I think the biggest thing is keeping really clear contracts, keeping that at-will language that Mariah discussed earlier in the contracts in all of your agreements. And really it's it's informing your hiring and supervising employees or agents of your company to not make those representations because, well, it's at-will, that's your presumption. You still have to litigate over it, which is costly and expensive. It sure is. Yeah, it sure is. And you talked too about restrictive covenants that may flow into these at times. We're going to get into that in just a second too, because there's a sea change potentially coming around those issues as well. 
But you do, you know, you have suggested, I know, that restrictive covenants, um, you know, non-competes, non-solicitation as part of that too, are things that, you know, as as long as they're not overly restrictive, the courts may enforce. Yeah, absolutely. So the non-competes. Today. (laughs) Today. today. (laughs) Yeah, so the non-competes is this federal rule that's proposed, um, but confidentiality agreements or keeping any business-related information, those are still contracts that courts will uphold as long as they, like you mentioned, are not overly broad. Um, that Everyone has different ideas of what those trade secrets are. Um, a lot of them are your client list, your client specifications, employee list. So I, I like to think of it as like a big bucket of things that make your business successful that you don't want getting out into the world. So those right. are still... Those will still be enforced so long as, and we'll get to it, but that they're not overly broad. Yeah. Yeah. So really in conclusion on this idea of employment contracts, you know, at the time of hire or for key employees or for, you know, as we talked about now is a new tool in your talent attraction and retention kit for mid-level and managerial hires. They can be good. I mean, this is a good tool. This is a good option to consider. Um, I think the cautionary part of this is always consult with your attorney, right, before drafting or implementing anything like this to make sure that um, you keep your organization safe, right, and and keep out of court. So another issue that we want to deal with, too, briefly has to do with a pressing issue that's come up on the federal landscape. And some folks may not know about it. I found out about it accidentally, and I was absolutely shocked to hear about it. But recently, the FTC proposed a rule which would effectively ban the use of non-compete agreements nationwide. It would supersede all of our state laws, including obviously here in Michigan, anything regarding non-competes and require any non-competes currently in place to be voided within 180 days of this rule taking effect. So this is not a legislative change. This is an FTC rule. And candidly, it's a pretty tough rule for most businesses to accept, especially small business. Um, It essentially means, as you just described, Jordan, any of the secret sauce, right? Uh, that uh, that makes the company unique and allows it to be able to be successful could walk out the door with an employee leaving. Trade secrets, company processes, customer lists, relationships could be lifted with absolutely no recourse on the part of the employer whatsoever. So Mariah, let's go to you for a second. Can you summarize the fine points of this rule and help us understand a little bit more about what it says? Yeah. So to start, it originated from Biden's movement to promote more competition in America economy. His concept was to make it easier to change jobs, to help wages increase and increase more mobility for workers. Um, so the proposed rule itself, I'm going to overly simplify it here, but it is banning employers from imposing any non-competes on their workers, except in the case of a sale of a business. So if you sell your business, you can have a non-compete so long as it's only restricting the owner, member, or partners of the business who had at least 25% ownership. So kind of bouncing back to our first concept, it protects those folks that are probably in that transition plan or maybe starting in a partnership role. They wouldn't have a non-compete in place because they probably wouldn't have that 25% ownership yet. So it's it's really getting rid of all of these non-competes. And uh, again, the claim is, is that it's going to help 
workers have more flexibility and move and have a more fair method of competition in the market. Um, and as you stated, the non-competes that are in place will have to be voided 180 days after this comes out. So even if you say, oh, well, we already had our non-compete signed, it still applies to you. So you're going to, yeah. will still not work. Yeah, it, it sure does. It sure does. And, and I think the intention was that, you know, we need to make um, lower wage earners, more entry-level people, more mobile. I don't know about you, but my experience with organizations that take the time to put these in place, they don't do these with 20 and $25 an hour workers. These are key leaders in your organization that are usually asked to sign these kind of agreements. So I think we're kind of barking up the wrong tree with this rule. Um, and it's, it is pretty broad in scope. And again, it is a rule. It's proposed. It is not in effect yet. But the clock is ticking on that, right? Right. Um, so, Jordan, tell us, I mean, with this rule proposed, what recourse do businesses have at this point if they're hearing this today and thinking, I don't like this, what can I do about this? And is there anything I can do? Yeah, so there's two things. There's a, a comment period right now. So we can have comments. I think it's open through March 10th. Uh, so get any of your comments in. Let them know the effect that it'll have on your business and where you think this proposed rule would take you and your employees. Um, there's also in going back to the non-disclosure clauses. So this is where this will come important and in the drafting that these clauses are still going to be in effect. They will be upheld still. So anything that you want protected that you deem these employees need to know or will know will be upheld. So get your non-disclosure clauses teed up and drafted before this rule goes into effect. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. And regarding the comment period, Jordan, through March 10th, I'll just let listeners know right now, we will put the link to that website if you do want to make a comment on that. So you can easily click on that and note that. Um, another thing that you know you can do, of course, is contact your local Congress persons, right? In whatever district you live. Again, this is not going through the House of Representatives or through Congress. It's an FTC rule change, but um, your elected officials do have influence in Washington and can advocate on your behalf with rule changes, even within administrative policies like this. So, I mean, in summary right now, uh, other than expressing our opinions as business owners and leaders about this rule change not being great, um, there's not a lot we can do, right? But a reminder, the comment period is open until March 10th, and the link to that page will be on our website under podcasts and blogs so you can find it and know um, what's going on. But it's something to pay attention of. The clock is ticking rapidly on this. It is a sea change with regard to the way we have done business um, you know, across the country with non-competes, non-solicitation agreements. So we really appreciate you, Jordan and Mariah, bringing this issue to our attention, helping us unpack it a little. Also talking about employment contracts and if that can help us with our talent retention challenges right now. Um, and I'll just say, if our listeners would like to speak with you, get more information about anything that you've said or chat with you to get your help on any of these issues, What's the best way to reach you? Mariah, why don't we start with you? Um, so it would probably be my email. So my email is M-N-A-T-Z-K-E at K-E-H-B dot com. Awesome. And Jordan, how about you? What's your email? 
So it's the same format as Mariah's. So it's J-H-E-L-D and then at K-E-H-B dot com as well. Awesome. Wonderful. Today, we have enjoyed a terrific, very insightful and informative discussion on things that we can do to help with employee attraction and retention challenges and things that are coming up that we may have to be aware of that could create more challenges for us um, in this crazy world of talent attraction. But we really appreciate your time, Jordan and Mariah from Christ Enderly in Kalamazoo. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Welsh Wire. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for having us, Sherry. Thank you for listening to The Welsh Wire. We hope you'll join us for the next episode. For more information, visit welshandassociates.net.